This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. And welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Wednesday, October 13th, 2010, and this is episode 44. As always, I'm Paul Fox, and joining me from a different island here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi, everybody. So, Kevin, where are you at? I'm in the uh, offshore island of Chen Chao uh, here in Hong Kong. You're sounding pretty um, good. Yeah, um, thanks to the 3G network on the iPad. So coming to you from the iPad. Now, were you kidnapped there? I mean, is this like the plot of Water Babies? <laughs> it depends on what, what some people call going out to see their girlfriends. But yeah, some people would call it being kidnapped. Yeah, like I are the villagers like <laughs> keeping you keeping you held there against your will? No, no, the, the people here are very friendly, actually. You'd be surprised. Um, we had a when we watched the movie with a mutual friend who, at the end, kept defending Chen Chao after her fantastic water page. Remember, she's like, "No, Chen Chao isn't like that. You know, it should be right." Chen Chao, Chen Chao isn't really much of a community-based place as you would think because there's so many people living here. But um, the people are definitely more friendly than say out on the other island, the Hong Kong island. Um, yeah. People are definitely friendlier here because that's a smaller neighborhood. And uh, so yeah, well, Hong Kong island is you know it's all about attitude. It's like. Get out of my way. I'm trying to make money. <laughs> Everywhere else is a little bit slower. New Territories is a lot slower. You know, the village I'm at, people are really super friendly and, and nice. Um, have you been out to the Pirate Cave? No, I, I, I've been... Uh, I look for... I want to go see it sometime. Um, but uh, I haven't had time in two. I'm just a little... I don't know, caves, you know. Yeah. Unless it's a, unless it's a cave that I, that I intend to, you know, commandeer and turn into my secret... Um, base or whatever. I don't know about visiting. Caves, no, it's not. But... It's not. It's not a bat cave. It's not big. In fact, it's a pretty tight squeeze. It's more like a hole in the ground that you kind of have to shuffle through. And uh, yeah, a lot of people throw junk down there. Last time I was there, it was like you know all this junk. But if you go, take a flashlight because there's like no lighting, no rails. It's completely enter at your own risk. It's a. If it was in the United States, it's like a lawsuit waiting to happen for someone. <laughs> so but, people can actually go in. Yeah, you. you, you it's a. It's a, the, as the story has it, it was the pirate, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Chung Bo Zai, right? Yeah. And he, wasn't he in like the, wasn't he the antagonist in Project A or one um, of the Jackie Chan movies? Was it, I don't, I don't remember, but I think he uh, was, I think he was in, uh, he was in parts, he was the Chow Fat character in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. He? I think he, he was based on that. And I think he was in one of the Jackie Chan movies. I'll have to go look that up, but. Basically, um, he used this cave to like get away from authorities because it's got, 
you you kind of go in and it's dark and dank and then it gets like really narrow it's you got to be kind of small to sneak through it but it has a back and exit so it's mm-hmm. just like this thing you go down into the ground and through it and then out and that's it but if you go take a flashlight because it's really dark down there so all right we'll do but we're not here to talk about caves are we we're here no, to talk sir. about movies so we're here to talk about stuff from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some stuff in between, sometimes like caves and other stuff. <laughs> what are we going to talk about this week? Well, we're going to talk about some one movie, uh, Reign of Assassins for our East Screen pick, and we're going to talk about a little bit of news. So let's get into that before we do anything else. All right, we got a little bit of East Screen news this week. Um, up first... It looks like there's going to be a reunion of sorts between Jet Li and Soy Hark, who are scheduled to do another film together. And this news coming from Film Biz Asia on October 10th. And uh, it says production got underway on this, the film Flying Swords of Dragon Gate. And this is a stereoscopic 3D film, which is going to be the reunion film for Jet Li and. Zoe Hark, who have collaborated before on things like Once Upon a Time in China back in the 90s. Um, they were a pretty good team. And also starring in this film, you're going to have people like Zhou Shun, uh, Alois Chen, and Ross's favorite, Gui. Gui. Yeah, Gui Lan Mei. So he should be excited about that. The action director is uh, Yun Bun. So sounds pretty exciting. It says this is going to be the, the first full 3D film in the martial arts world so i guess they're not looking at um um what was the one earlier this year with uh jay chow uh, true legend yeah true legend is sort of a full 3d because that was just 3d in parts mm-hmm. um so this is i guess going to be the full you know one and a half two hour deal um i'm a little bit surprised though because i seem to recall jet lee saying he wasn't doing any more martial arts movies mm-hmm. you're right yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it, supposed to be his final one. Yeah, I mean, uh, it sounds like this is a martial arts film, and I'm assuming if he's in it, he's going to be taking up a martial arts role. So I guess he's coming out of his uh, non-martial arts retirement, or maybe he's just going to be sort of like a grandfather character, and he's going to leave the martial arts to the younger actors. Well, if that's the case, I don't know if I want to watch it. You know, Jet Li doing a martial arts movie and not doing martial arts. What's the yeah. point? Yeah, and uh, it doesn't sound like, you know, from the title that it's going to be a, a dramatic piece. It's not going to be like uh, Ocean's Heaven. I mean, it could be, you know, who knows. But uh, with Soy Hark at the helm, I don't know, I'm a little bit excited. You know, hopefully he can keep his momentum coming up off of uh, Detective D. What do you think? Yeah, after Detective D, I mean, if I didn't watch Detective D and I heard this news, I'd be scared. Because um, especially when Trey Hart works with new technology, he he's kind of he gets kind of too crazy for his own good, and it kind of forgets the the, the audience consideration. Um, I'm really afraid it's gonna make. A, I'm still really afraid that it's gonna make a movie that's about too much about the technology and 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 not enough about you know telling stories or making coherent um, uh, film or making coherent action. Um, I'm yeah. still a little worried, but after um, Detective D, I'm definitely a little more assured that. Um, I think Trey Hart's got his groove back, uh, so to speak. Yeah, with all so, with all that you just said, I was I had a vision of a uh, Legend of Zoo pop into my mind. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah, hopefully he'll he'll focus on what he does best, and he won't he won't get sort of enamored with the technology and just go off on a tangent. 
Well, I mean, from from the capture that we we see in the news story, it seems like they're actually shooting outdoors uh, as opposed to you know the studio shoot that was in Legend of Zoo. So, I'm hoping they're relying again more on um, practical effects on screen than that whole uh, green screen, blue screen thing that he used in Legend of Zoo. Yeah. All right, our next bit of news this week: uh, Tucker Film is uh, in negotiations to get a hold of a film we talked about last week, Detective D. And the film we're talking about this week, Reign of Assassins. Um, both of these films had world premieres uh, at the Venice Festival last month. And I guess this is a good thing for people in Italy if they're going to get, if this is going to get some distribution there. What do you think? Well, um, Tucker Pictures, I just looked at the story, is run by the two founders of the Udine Far East Film Festival. Yeah. Um, and that is really good news because the uh, Udine festival people have been they're passionate about um uh, asian films um i think they can do asian films right and um maybe there's a uh, kind of an early preview that they will be either showing this at a festival if if they're not releasing this before the festival next year they'll be definitely be opening the festival with this or they'll definitely be showing this these films at a festival yeah, that so was, um, that was good... that was my thought when i read through the article was will these be selections um for the festival but then I was thinking, you know, the fact that they've already premiered at another festival, do you think that'll make them less likely to be festival contenders? Um, well, because Udine isn't the only award or the only contention or the only uh, competition that the festival has, the audience award. Yeah. So, um, yes, the, the, the premieres would help raise their profile, but I think these two are really, really solid contenders for the audience award. And I think it's a, these are two really good films to bring to the audience of Udine. All right, and our third news, speaking of Detective D, uh, the film has been dominating the box office in China, uh, doing quite well, although not quite as well as uh, Legend of the Fist, if I have my numbers correct. Um, but this is good news. I mean, the, the film we were talking about last week, if it, if it is successful financially, the likelihood is we will likely see a sequel at some point, which uh, I would be excited to see. Uh, I'd like to see more of this film. What do you think, Kevin? Oh, um, your math is wrong, Paul, sorry. <laughs> um, because uh, Detective D opened the week before Golden Week in China, so it's had an entire week to, uh, it's managed to make, I think, 200 million RMB already. Mm. So that surpassed Legend of Fist. Legend of Fist just passed the 100 million mark. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yes, uh, because of word of mouth. I think word of mouth and Detective D, and plus the Prince of Andy Lau, and just, you know, being a better film, and plus, you know, Detective D character, also another established character in Chinese culture. Um or popular culture being uh, major factors um, in helping it uh, get the result. Um, I'm, I'm for one, I'm glad that finding a good movie is a hit in China. Uh, but of course, that's part of my own uh, bias against uh, films like Aftershock or Legend of the Fist. Uh, but still, uh, I'm, I'm glad that it's doing well. Um, I mean, of course, it opening before holiday week. And I don't mean weekend, I mean week, you know, that really helped. And I hope that um, the word of mouth is good enough that it stays strong. And then um, it might encourage filmmakers to, you know, make good films. Mm, yeah. And it also mentions uh, Under the Hawthorne Tree. Um, it's doing uh, uh, doing fairly okay uh, for what it is. And Inception is the second highest growing film. So that's that's still raking in some cash. Um, yeah, but I'm surprised. I thought I had read somewhere that Legend of the Fist was 
was uh, doing doing better, but I, I'm I'm completely mistaken in that. Uh, I think it opened well, but um, the word of mouth word of mouth kind of ruined it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I'm really surprised at Inception because Inception was due to was about to end this run before the the Golden Week, which was you know. It was packed of competition. It was we had Detective D, Hawthorne Tree, uh, Reign of Assassins, and Detective D. Did I say Detective already? Legend yeah. of the Fist. Uh, the four films. These four big films were about to take over the theaters, but Inception stayed really strong. And and I'm surprised how 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 strong it stayed. Now it's at 400 million RMB, which is near you know Transformers numbers, which is really good news because again, you know, it's a film that deserves it. Yeah. All right, our fourth bit of news this week. Uh, Aaron Kwok and Chow Yun-Fat are going to be in the with Donnie in the new Monkey King movie. Kevin, you want to tell us a little bit about this? This is another one of those instances, you know, where um, you joke about something and then it comes true. You know, for example, we were talking about uh, the overacting, uh, Donnie Yen overacting in Legend of Fist, and then we're saying, oh my God, it'd be crazy if Aaron Kwok and Donnie Yen were the same movie. And this happened. Um, Aaron and as yes, I guess we have reported. We might have reported before that Donnie Yen is doing a new Monkey King 3D movie uh, directed by uh, the Accidents Soi Chen. Um, now Aaron Kwok and Charon Fat are joining the cast. Aaron will be apparently playing the Bull King uh, character, and uh, I think Charon Fat is playing. Uh, you might have to help me on this, Paul. I think Jade Emperor or the yeah. Pearl should Emperor. Be, yeah, be Jade Emperor. Yeah. Okay, so Jade Emperor. So um, very, very big cast. Uh, I'm a little worried because I'm not sure what the budget is, but it seems like having a big name like Chow Fat, who I might have read in a report somewhere that he's taking 40 million RMB for this role. So I'm a little worried that all the budget is going to the big stars and the 3D effects will end up looking cheap again. Um, Donnie now also commands a similar number. So I think that's at least 80 million RMB going to the actors already. Uh, I'm not sure how much Aaron charges, you know, if it's half, you know, that's still, you know, that would take it up to hundred million. So, um, that kind of both got me worried and a little, little, you know, I'm a little, I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing the two big over actors in the film, especially if Aaron playing the bull King, you know, his little, um, veiny look in city under siege was halfway there already. Yeah. So, uh, so I look forward to seeing these two over actors in the film, but again, yeah, having so many big actors that command so much money in, in, um, film that requires, you know, even more money to for the special effects, uh, that's a little worrying. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of mixed on this because I love the, I love the Monkey King. Um, I love the Journey to the, Journey to the West story. Uh, I really like the old Shaw films that they did. Uh, and, and not really a, they, they weren't really direct sequels, but they were, parts of the story the story is just too long to really tell you know the complete story you'd have to do it as a tv series i think to do it right um i've even enjoyed some of the crazy uh, dicky chung tv adaptations that have come out over the years the thing that kind of turns me off about this is that first aaron i don't think he's a match for the role that they've cast him in um that role Mm. is like supposed to be big and bold and boisterous and uh, and it just doesn't seem to fit unless they're going to throw a ton of makeup all over him, a la the fat suit. And, you know, if that's the case, why choose him? Why not choose, you know, somebody else? I mean, he could see, he could surprise me. I mean, you know, I remember, <laughs> uh, what was it? The Tom Cruise movie, uh, legend. 
and you know Tim Curry was like the big demon and and I thought he was great in that. So I guess anything is possible. But I think that if they were going to do this and they're going to spend the money, I really would rather see Havoc in Heaven, which is sort of like I it happens before you've got the Bull King and and some of these characters. It's when Monkey for you know first starts getting his powers and he goes up to heaven and he causes a mess. That's sort of the beginning of the story before he meets Friar Sand and and you know uh, takes you know the monk and uh, piggy and goes to the west. That I you know they I think the series is due for a remake, mm-hmm. and they should start from the beginning and you know sign and do it as a trilogy or a sextology or something and you know just go with it. Um, well, you know I think based on the Chinese title, I think it might be Havoc in Heaven. Let's see that I don't I don't remember Bull King being in Havoc in Heaven. It's yeah. Um, unless, well, it, but you know, many many Hong Kong filmmakers have reinvented the story for their own use. Yeah, um, yeah. I would be surprised if Soi Chen is trying to do this as well. Kind of mess mess the you know mess with the story's order a little bit, adding some characters into a chapter where you know they might not originally appear, things like that. Mm. Yeah, that I mean that, that's possible. This is still I guess in the planning stages, so. We've got a ways before we have any kind of idea what the script is about. I'm just hopeful that you know they don't they don't pull in uh, Stephen Chow or they don't try and make it into uh, some kind of oddball modernized comedy or or you know add in Michael Wong or Russell Wong or anything like that. I'd really like them to just try and do a sort of ser- semi serious uh, approach to remaking some of the old Shaw films, and I'd be happy. Trust me, Donnie's in it. It will be serious. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so he's serious he'll about spend, kicking ass. He'll spend about, you know, 50% of the screen time grooming his his uh, fur, right? <laughs> his chest fur. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all our East Screen news for this week. Um, but I do want to throw out a quick mention. It's not related to East Screen or West Screen, really. But uh, as we speak, they are rescuing the... Chile and the trapped miners in uh, Chile. So just, you know, best of luck. I hope they can all make it up the shaft uh, safely. And I think that's a bit of good news that the world probably needs right about now. Yep. Hope their journey to the center of the world has, will end pretty soon. Yeah, that's got to be. I mean, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be those guys trapped down there right now. But I, I got to imagine they're just thinking shower, shower. <laughs> I mean, it's about the world's uh, longest, longest sauna, yeah. sauna stay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm sure that, that those guys are going to have some amazing stories to tell, and they'll be writing books, and there'll be a movie made, and we'll be talking about the movie a couple years from now on West Screen or something. All right, it's time for our East Screen film for this week. And what is that film, Kevin? Reign yes. of Assassins. <laughs> yes, Reign of Assassins. Um, you want to you wanna do the synopsis or you want me to do it? Well, you know what happened to me during the screening, Paul. So <laughs> I'm do you remember what happened? <laughs> I remember what happened in the second half because yeah. that's when I was awake. All right, so... <laughs> Reign of Assassins tells the story of, uh, gosh, I don't, was it period specific? I want to say it's like Ming Dynasty. Um, 
Ming Dynasty period. We'll say it's the Ming Dynasty. I don't really remember if they. I think that doesn't really matter for this, it, this story. It, well, it it kind of does because it is, um, it is based on a certain real real character who is uh, uh, Monk Bodhi Bodhi Dharma, who is mm. considered the the founding father of martial arts. If you study martial arts history, kung fu history, he is a monk who traveled uh, from India into China and one of the myths is that he in in his periods of meditation developed exercises uh, that were eventually created into forms of Kung Fu which he then taught to other monks and other people and this is one of the foundational principles of, of martial arts. Of course this is just the mythology there are other books on martial arts that trace lineages back to other places too so we don't need to really get into that for the for the review but the point is, is that a lot of what goes on takes place around the remains of monk Bodhi. So in Buddhism, the remains of Buddhas and, and, and what I guess would be considered in the West as people like saints take on sort of a holy status. Um, the remains themselves, the bones, the ashes, the fingernails. And these become relics. And, you know, they build entire shrines around, you know, the fingernail of, of, of a Buddha and things like this. And so this story is about the, the, the entire body, the, you know, the, the sort of uh, mummified remains, I guess, preserved remains of Monk Bodhi that's been separated into two pieces. And the myth is, is that whoever possesses the two pieces together will have, you know, incredible martial arts power. So there's your sort of your uh, your super MacGuffin or what have you right there, in, you know, in the form of this dead body, <laughs> necrophilia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody's chasing after this after this dead body. They all want to possess the body because it's going to grant them powers in the martial world. It sounds like a a really you know standard kind of plot instead of a sacred scroll. It, you know, it's a body. It's it's. It's all about this, the competition to find this. So there are various clans of assassins, of martial arts fighters, who are fighting for control and fighting and each other to for any hint or knowledge or you know secret word of where these remains are, who has them. There's a lot of double-crossing and things like that going on. So that sort of sets up the back history. Um, and then... It turns out that there's this one assassin named Drizzle, uh, played by Kelly Lynn, and she is rumored to have stolen one of the parts um, by killing off this this rival family. Um, and then she encounters a, a monk who does an intervention, an assassin intervention, if you will, and asks her to change, you know, change her life and change her ways. Uh, the monk has a profound effect on her, and she decides she's going to leave the 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 family, uh, the group that she's with, who are called uh, what are they called? The dark the dark stone dark clan. stones or yeah. three stones. The dark stone yeah. clan, I think, is what was their name. So she, you know, and and like any of these societies, once you're in, you're not supposed to get out. So she tries to get out, and she gets hunted, and. Then the basis of the story is she changes she changes her face into Michelle Yeoh, uh, in a very nice you know, but somewhat disgusting transformation sequence, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, 
And so that's the basis of the story. She changes her identity, and then she sort of gets sucked back into the world because people think she has uh, one half of the remains of, of Monk Bodhi. You also have in this film uh, Sean Yu as a guy named uh, Lei Bean, and he is a noodle guru by day and an assassin by night. Um, Barbie Sue makes an appearance, and she is would be called a tramp assassin. Uh, it's <laughs> her most uh, trampy role yet to date that I've seen her in. And you gotta be careful with that one. It's not trans assassin. Yeah, no, tramp it's not trans assassin. Tramp assassin. Yeah, she's a <laughs> yeah. she's a woman who basically uh, killed her. She kills her husband because he doesn't satisfy her, and then she gets picked up by the clan to re- sort of replace Drizzle after Drizzle's um, bolted and left. Um. So that's that's all this is. It's it's a bunch of fight sequences, sort of based around the the premise that somebody's got the remains and everybody wants the remains, and so there's some really good f- fight sequences. But you can tell that this film doesn't have a, a high budget. It doesn't have a budget um, anywhere near like Detective D or Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It wants to be like a Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. But it's just, it's it's not quite there in terms of the look and the feel. So while the fight sequences are really nice, you do see a couple shots where you can see the wires that people are kind of being held up with. So it could have been a, it could have been a little bit cleaner, I think. Um, has a solid narrative. The main problem I had, though, was with the two romantic leads. Um, now, what is the, the who, is, who is the romantic lead for Michelle? He's a, isn't he a Korean actor? He's a Korean actor. Um, I have to look him up, but I think uh, Jong San Woo is yeah, his name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's quite big in uh, in Korea, actually. Yeah. Uh, and leading actor. you know, it's a he's a fine choice to put in a film because obviously they want to you know have a presence in the Korean market, and he would be a draw, and so that's fine. But he just doesn't match with Michelle. Michelle is too old, and everybody was saying this sort of in comments as we were watching the film, that, you know, she's just, she looks like his mother or his older sister. <laughs> and so they didn't match. I think she what she needed was an older leading man, um, somebody, you know, a bit more closer to her or a little bit older than her in age, and it would have been better. I mean, he I'm not saying he was, he was bad. I mean, for the role he did, I think he was fine in terms of the role. Either, you know, they, they should have done the reverse where Michelle becomes Kelly Lynn and then him and Kelly Lynn are sort of, uh, pairing off against each other, that might have worked a little bit better. Um, but yeah, there's some really interesting shots. There's a good old-fashioned Ming Dynasty bank robbery. So if you've ever saw, <laughs> wanted to see what a bank robbery was like during the Ming Dynasty, you'll get a little bit of that here. Sort of like uh, Ocean's Eleven, but I don't know, what would you call this? Uh, I would say heat. Yeah, <laughs> heat. Reign of assassins, yeah. heat. <laughs> and uh, then you've got um, yeah some of the plot aspects. The some of the, I don't want to give much away in terms of spoilers, but one of the main characters who's seeking for the, the, the remains is doing so in a plot aspect that's very reminiscent of Swordsman 2. So if you've seen Swordsman 2 and some of the things that happen as a result of the secret scroll, um, there's a belief in a similar thing kind of going on here. My Another big problem I have with the film is they're still doing post-sound dubbing and it just it sounds terrible. Um, and I think like Michelle the entire time was dubbed. I'm not sure if she was dubbed by Kelly Lynn. Um, um, no, Kelly Lynn's um, Mandarin is having Taiwan 
Taiwan accent and that yeah. wouldn't fly in China. So I think even Kelly Lin was dubbed. So yeah, as most of the people I think were dubbed. Sean Yu sounded dubbed. And it, it, for me, that's distracting. For, for a lot of people, that might not be a big deal. We've talked about that before. Um, the amazing thing that I learned from this film, though, is who knew that cosmetic surgery was an ancient Chinese secret? Um, <laughs> because Kelly Lin, when she goes to change her face, she goes to this doctor and he uses bugs to change her face. Bugs that he inserts into the skin and that eat away bone to reshape the face. And it does it amazingly without any scarring. It's fantastic. Um, Boy, I'm glad I was asleep during that scene. <laughs> it's yeah. It's I and this is uh, this is why uh, cosmetic surgery is so popular in Asia today because you can just <laughs> use bugs. Um, I also learned that pyramid a pyramid of tofu is very romantic. <laughs> and for me, the subtitle of the week was "Your melon is too sweet." <laughs> actual sub actual paper. subtitle from the film, people. I'm not making that up. Um, so overall, it was fun. Uh, again, the action sequences were good. The the narrative, the story that was being told, I think was was pretty well told. Very interesting. The characters themselves were interesting. I just had a little bit of a problem with um, the the two leads. I, I thought Michelle was great, and I thought um, I thought the main uh, male protagonist was great. I just didn't think that their romantic aspect it, it was kind of hard to buy. Kevin. All right. Um, well, okay. Let me make it clear that I was only asleep for about 20 minutes of the film. Um, not because the film was boring or, you know, whatever. I had a really long day. And well, with that said, the storytelling was really chaotic in the first half. Um, whatever I saw of it, um, there was way too much backstory. Um, the film is produced, well, the, the credit says Cope, directed by John Woo. Um, but the reason he got that title was that um, because director Xu Chao Pin. Uh, who was the actual director who actually wrote the script? Um, he had Wu on on the set the whole time because it's uh it's Wu's production company, and he gave a few ideas. And I think uh, because he directed Wu actually directed a few scenes of the film, particularly the one where his daughter was in. Uh, I'm not sure which scene that one is. Do you know which scene John Wu's daughter is in, Paul? Which one was da- John Wu's daughter? Exactly. Yeah. So I thought I fell asleep, so I must have missed it. But yeah, uh, John Woo directed a few few scenes, and that's the only reason he got co-director credit. But I think the style kind of kind of seeped through into Shu Chaopin the way he told a story in the first half is that there's way too much backstory. Uh, at the same time, it's it, the story the the opening tells you the one the killing of the rival family, two the Darkstone Clan. Read the the entire thing of the body and uh, and how and how um, uh, Drizzle reestablished herself as um, in Michelle Yeoh's body, um, and for the meeting of the monk. All four of these things are going on at the same time in the first twenty minutes, and it's really hard to follow, and you don't know exactly where it's going. And then I went to sleep. So by the time I woke up, it it kind of it kind of calms back down. It goes right into a love story, um, which I think I kind of agree that Michelle Yeoh. You know, it's too old. Uh, even though, even though, in a way that she still believes that she can be a leading lady, and I think that um, no one has the guts to tell her yet uh, that she's a little too old for this. Um, yeah, she definitely is. She physically delivers in her role. Um, she still, she still is very good with the martial arts sequences, the action sequences. But uh, yeah, when it came to the romantic story, um, it didn't really work. Uh, thankfully, the, the story really leap through that it kind of just, just ran through really quickly and then it really came into life 
uh, but 45 minutes in, when when the whole MacGuffin comes back into play and the three assassins, uh, Sean Yu, Barry Sue, and uh, Leon die, these three characters come back in, um, and it becomes kind of this really old school wuxia story. The whole thing is really old school wuxia. You got the the you know secret society. You got these people with nearly mystical powers. Um, uh, Leon Dai plays this guy who has a magical rope that sends him upward, and then you know uh, uh, Sean Yu does this thing with these small little pins that he can fire at will. You know, it's really wonderful to watch. Uh, it's really playful uh, in that way. Um, the you know this, that's why I said the, the what 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 period it takes place in doesn't really matter because uh, the whole thing is is beyond reality. It's it's kind of a hyper reality. It's kind of a wuxia world that it creates for itself, and that's a lot of fun. Um, uh, the there's a a few reviews have been uh, referring it to a to a certain Hollywood movie that uh, definitely people should avoid trying to find out what movie that is because that gives away the third act twist, which is actually quite surprising if you don't if you don't expect it. Uh, once I heard about which movie that um, what once I read the reviews referring to what movie that is a, a Chinese version of, then I I kind of was looking for the twist and it didn't really surprise me as well as it could have. Um, never. So with that said, I really liked the second half of the film. I know some reviews have, uh, ha- actually does the opposite, uh, because people were pointing to certain, you know, more ridiculous twists, the swordsman two twists that you're talking about and how, how, how ridiculous that is and how it kind of goes, uh, certain villains, the way they, they took themselves and the Bobby Barbie shoe character, um, her the whole thing, you know, where she's taking off her clothes every other scene, uh, that was a little strange. Um, I had no problem with it. <laughs> I had no problem with it myself. You know, what was it? Didn't we make a make a joke? I think we made a joke about how she had a she had a power her clothes shedding technique or something. Uh, it was almost like she was the female Donnie, except she wasn't taking off the stuff they wanted to see. Um, anyway, um, but yeah, these when these three characters start coming into the story, it got really good. Um, Otherwise, the performance is okay. Michelle Yeoh, again, um, except for the romantic stuff, she is still quite a capable action lead. Jong Woo Song, even though he's, I think on set he was trying to speak Mandarin, as far as I could see, his, the way his mouth was moving. Um, he was trying, trying to speak Mandarin, and even then, he was still quite good as a male lead. He's, he's actually a really male lead material in Korea. He starred in um, uh, The Good, The Bad, The Weird as The Good. Um, he was also uh, in A Moment to Remember, um, uh, really old-fashioned romantic film, so that kind of shows that he how good he is as a romantic lead. Um, um, the cinematography, I think, I liked it more than you did. Um, this film's budget wasn't as big as, say, Detective D. You're right, but um, I think it still looked pretty good, especially the wire work was quite good. Um, I didn't really look for the wires, um, so I didn't really see much of it. Uh, so for me, it was fine. Um, the sound, the sound issue that you were talking about, I think we, we mentioned this again last week as well. The dubbing is something that we can never fully avoid because, again, um, the way China is that they they want actors, they they have a certain standard way of speaking Mandarin that that actors from outside China just can't deliver. Say Michelle Yeoh um, or uh, even uh, even Kelly Lin uh, and of course Sean Yu. These even though they may speak. Mandarin fine. Their accent is not quote unquote standard Mandarin, um, and the fact that they might not have done sync sound recording on set to one speed up the shooting and two just to save the trouble for you know since they're gonna dub it later on, um, that issue has been going on for 
you know, since the beginning of Hong Kong cinema and also Chinese cinema and something that we'll, we can never avoid as long as there are multiple language versions floating well, around. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, when you get, a, when you get like a really high-end production, when you get a, a hero or a crouching tiger hidden dragon, um, they, do, they, they do, you know, sync sound with those. Mm-hmm. And it sounds great. You know, they, you can tell that they've invested in the audio production. And I don't think there's any reason they can't do it on, you know, films like D or, or this one. It's just, I think, I think it's a little bit of laziness, a little bit of budgeting, like you were saying, because they know that they're going to go in and they're going to make other tracks. And so, you know, they just figure the sound is not that important. And well, actually, for Hero, for Hero, well, and for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, it's more of a Western production. And, you know, Ang Lee, who's worked with pretty much only sync sound, of course, shot it in sync sound. Um, um, same with Zhang Yimou, who who has also against shot with you know pretty much only sync sound for his past movies, and you know was 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 confident that actually even Tony Leung and Maggie Maggie Chen was dubbed in that film, and they were he was fairly confident that the whole film would only be in there would only be a Mandarin version of the film. So those two those two are exceptions to the rule, I would think. listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit kongcast.com for more. But if you're listening to the podcast, uh, please don't take my gripes as any any type of uh, negative reason to not see this film. Uh, I would I would recommend it's it's a it's a solid film, and I'd say you know don't don't take my personal pet peeves as justification to not go out and see this because I think we've been fairly lucky with two weeks and two good films that I've come out enjoying. So definitely, definitely. Um, I think again the sound thing it happens to every or at least most ninety percent of the films that we watch. Um, so we we don't really let you know, annoyances like this uh, hurt the film anymore because, you know, it's just something that that is in the films already. But um, it hurts the film, but it doesn't really hurt it to the point where you shouldn't see it. Um, I really like at least the second half of the film. I really enjoyed the film. Um, and my, my personal subtitle of the week would be Karma Really Is a Bitch. At one point, a character, you know, actually in, in Mandarin, he says something really, you know, clean, you know, like, oh, karma is such a tough thing or oh no karma is blah blah but the subtitle somehow i think they they found you know abc from la or something um that listens to hip-hop or something and he just he, instead the subtitle is karma really is a bitch yeah, yeah. Kudos, <laughs> kudos to you sub- subtitle dude yes kudos to you subtitle man um so that you know this is this is a good film um and you know it's not really a. I don't think you know. I, there's a guy that sat behind us uh, the screening at the end of the film. He's like, "Yeah, these are the kind of film they make for foreigners." So it, it Ron, is it really? Did, what? did somebody actually like, said that? Yes, I the guy that. right behind us. We sound like he had a, he had a cold. Um, did he did one. Is it really a crouching tiger, hidden dragon type movie where you know there, it creates kind of a divide between foreign audiences and local audiences? And two. Does that really have a factor in any? And why is it flopping in China and Hong Kong? And if not, then then why? What other reason is there that this film is actually fairly good? Why is this flopping in China and Hong Kong? 
if if I were to make a guess, I'd have to say it's it's Michelle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't think she's got the drawing power of you know she's she's gotten more widely known in the West you know since doing uh, Tomorrow Never Dies and uh, you know same uh, films like you know smaller parts like Sunshine and stuff and yeah I think I mean look at look at go back to Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon that did not do well here and you know it didn't really start doing well until it was getting recognition over in the west and you know it was there was oscar talk and all that kind of stuff and then they re-released it over here and it started getting you know a lot a lot of people went out and started going to watch it so you know i don't know it it, it seems to me like she's the stuff she's done is somehow tainted her you know i'm, I'm looking at like silverhawk and um you know the touch and 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 those things and it just doesn't seem to me that she's got the appeal that she had in, you know, her younger years when she was doing Police Story 3 or Akam or, or some of those things. Well, my question, I don't think Michelle Yeoh was ever um, a box office draw, so to speak. Um, I think she was always, her hit movies are always uh, coupled with other, other people, say, uh, uh, Police Story 3, Jackie Chan. Um, Kojin Tiger was because he had that, you know, Charon Fat and uh, Zhang Ji wasn't a draw yet, but the whole again, the whole Ang Lee, the Oscar thing, um, other big Silver Hawk and the Touch flopped. Uh, those were her vanity projects, and those totally flopped. So, I mean, that these prove that Michelle Yeoh does not have drawing power. So, it's obvious that they did the um advertising when then went to John Wu, but John Wu doesn't even have much drawing power in Hong Kong anymore. I mean, Red Cliff. Was again not only John Woo is because you know it was a big film it had Tony Leung it had Takeshi and it was based on the whole Three Kingdoms thing. It, are we getting to a point where you know names are not enough to draw audiences anymore in Hong Kong? The Coaching Tiger thing, I, I I'm not sure what this so-called foreign divide between audiences are. I guess because uh, Coaching Tiger Hidden Dragon you know had all these so-called Western value about, you know, finding yourself and uh, what following your dream and, you know, the love story. I think those things were kind of hard to take in an audience that kind of grew up with, I guess, um, typical wuxia story. But I think I think Reign of Assassins was definitely no no coaching tiger. I think it had, it had elements that it was outlandish enough at points. And I think it was, again, kind of old school um, wuxia style story that, you know, I don't think it's very much trying to appeal to Westerners, even though, again, the storytelling, the action does appeal to Westerners. I don't think the storytelling itself is particularly, you know, Westerner-ish. I think there were points um, in the third act that even, you know, our, our our crowd was going a little, huh? Especially the um, the twist, that the Swordsman 2 twist that we're talking about. Um, what do you think, Paul? Do you think there's that so-called foreign, foreign appealing element to Reign well, Assassins? I mean, I don't... I... I think that you I think that you're right when you say this is sort of old school and it's definitely I mean this is this is something you would would have expected to see you know in the 90s it's there's not a whole lot of CGI going on here it's very you know traditional style martial arts filmmaking and mm-hmm. I guess over time because that you know migrated through various you know mediascapes and whatnot to the West, and, and that's how people in the West got to know Hong Kong cinema, people like me and, and other people I know, and that became popular. 
but it's not that's not popular anymore over here you know it's and and that's that's something that we've started to talk about elsewhere and we're we're probably going to do a show on in the future is you know what's happened to hong kong cinema uh, of late and and why are local people not going to see it and you know what are what are what are some of the rationales behind some of the changes that we see going on but that's a discussion probably for another day and i think that from my perspective you know there was nothing wrong with that film but there was nothing particularly made to appeal to westerners un unless you just look at the casting um if anything you know you could make the make the argument that it's made to appeal to um koreans because you know they put a korean male lead as the you know lead uh protagonist so yeah it's it's i i think that a statement like that is kind of you know, uh, just kind of off the cuff and not really based in any, any real, there's no real evidence to point to that. I think the only thing that might have caused people or the guy behind us to think that is one, I guess, to share that kind of bluish night look that, um, crouching tiger, you know, has said this had, had really been known for, I guess, in, in, in this, uh, the scenes that people watch. And also I think the Michelle Yeoh being the film, just yeah. people see Michelle Yeoh blue, uh, Night Sea, you know, Wuxia, you know, they just keep thinking Crouching Tiger and Dragon. I guess that's how deep the film has been embedded into local culture. But again, that's kind of an unfair assessment or an unfair way to see the film. All right. Well, we don't have any uh, West Screen film, but we've got a little bit of West Screen news to talk about this week. Our first bit of news uh, that we want to talk about for West Screen. Uh, if you remember just over a year ago, one of the films that I ended up talking about when we used to talk about uh, DVDs was a little movie called Outsourced. Uh, a, sort of a small independent film that had been made about a young American who lost his job and ended up going over to India to serve as a sort of a call manager, a call center supervisor. Um, really liked that film. And I guess some other people did, too, because it's been made into a TV series that's now running in the States. Uh, they just had uh, their third episode last week. And the TV series is a different cast. It's the same concept, um, uh, similar characters, uh, but different actors. And I'm really getting into it. Um, it's a lot slower in, in pace, and they've added some things that weren't in the movie. It's a lot more comedic. The humor is kind of down and dirty some of the stuff that they they get into um uh, it's a lot more humorous than if the film was you'd, you'd say sort of a dramedy this is just pretty much sitcom um all the way uh I, a couple people i've talked to don't think that this has a, ain't gonna have any lasting power they don't think that, that you know they think because it's taking place in india and it's dealing so much with sort of the culture clash that people won't buy into it. But I'm really getting into it. I really like it, so I hope it sticks around. Um, what so network if, is it on, Paul? Uh, I don't have... Let me have... Is it on a major network, actually? Yeah, like, it you know, is. NBC, it's, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, let me jump onto my Google and... Because I don't... I don't get to see it on the network, obviously. <laughs> yeah, because the, argue, the the point is that, you know, a, a story about um, a sitcom that takes place on a foreign land, if it's on a major network, I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. That's yeah, pretty it's impressive on uh, NBC. 
yeah, it really sounds like a cable show to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Um, than a, than a major network show, and the fact that ABC picked it up, um, is is actually kind of surprising. Yeah, it's um, it, you know, again, it's qu- the the tone of it is quite different because it's it's very much a, in the style of a, a half hour sitcom, and it's got a lot of quick paced, you know, sort of humor. There are cultural jabs, but they do the cultural jabs back and forth. There. Are, I guess there are times when you'd look at it and go, ah, is that really politically correct? But I think we're moving into sort of the postmodern era of political correctness, and people are starting to uh, get beyond that. And maybe that's a good thing. Um, you know, if we can just laugh and at ourselves and laugh at other people and have that be okay sometimes, um, you know, maybe that's okay. But again, the, some people say that they don't think they think that this is way too cultural. It's it's because it's it's really focused on um, most of the characters in the cast are uh, Indian actors. I guess there are, some of them are American Indian uh, actors, not Native American Indian, but um, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and but there's there's like the main character uh, who's. Uh, Todd, who's a American actor, and then he he's got a contemporary who's like the typical ugly American guy, and uh, he it's pretty funny the some of the stuff that they do, and then there's an Australian girl who serves as sort of the Caucasian love interest to distract him from his uh, Indian love interest who's on on his staff. So if you if you saw the film, if you liked the film, I think you'll like the TV series. Uh, you gotta give it a shot. bit of news uh the film we talked about the french film the adventures of adele blasse if i say that correctly i know i'm probably uh barbarizing the french um but uh, the, 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 this was supposed to show last month i had i had one rumor somewhere telling me it was like september 28th or the 26th then another rumor somewhere i read it was pushed into october and now as I look on some of the film sites, it's like November 11th. I'm like, when am I going to get to see this film? <laughs> they keep pushing it back and pushing it back. And ultimately, they're going to push it out. And it'll, it'll be on, you know, it'll be like um, uh, Scott Pilgrim. You know, it'll be on DVD before it ever makes it here to Hong Kong. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of ticked about that. I have to wait another month. Yeah, there's another film that's being pushed back. Uh, Shake Down 3 was set to release on October 21st. But I think... Uh, the distributor went on Facebook and said it's been pushed back by a week. Uh, I guess it's because it's been kind of a crowded several weeks here in Hong Kong. I'm not sure if because they're afraid of um, films that are too similar coming on the same week or something like that. Um, right now, look at the uh, Adele Blancsonk, <laughs> the release week. Right now, the same week, there's um, a thriller, a small indie thriller called um, The Disappearance Alice Creed. And also the the comic based movie Reds coming out on the same weekend. Um, I'm not sure what you know. Why do they feel like going against a Bruce Willis movie would put them in a better position? But you know, um, 
I, or maybe Echo is too busy with the with the Asian Film Festival. I'm not sure, but um, you know, uh, I, I hope there's a good reason that they pushed it back. Yeah, you know, because you look at the trailer; it's got mummies in it. You know, it's like perfect for Halloween. Now they're right. pushing it after. You know, it's 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 going to be a Thanksgiving movie before we know it. I don't want to see mummies and eat turkey on the same day. Um, all right, <laughs> it's so similar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> enough of my whining. Uh, our third bit of news: uh, 3D for Harry Potter series on Blu-ray. Um, just a little bit of news I stumbled across on Variety, and it makes me kind of a little bit annoyed. I'd say um, what they're basically doing is uh, they're going to be adding more 3D to the Harry Potter Blu-rays um, with uh, both the Harry Potter and the Order, Order of the Phoenix and Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, it just seems like this is a, a push to try and sell more 3D to us and get us to go out and buy, um, you know, 3D-compatible TVs, and next it's going to be 3D-compatible players, and I, I'm kind of done with 3D. I mean, we're we're going to see a, a a Hong Kong horror movie in 3D tomorrow, and that's primarily because there ain't nothing else to watch. Um, <laughs> and I'm just like not really looking forward to it. I'm just kind of going because the group's going, but it's like 3D again. Why? Uh, I don't know. Do you do you really see this taking off, Kevin? Do you think that you'll find yourself? lining up at some point in a couple years to get a 3D player and a 3D TV and all that jazz? No, because it's not worth the investment. I just I just put in money for uh, for a widescreen TV. I just put in money for a Blu-ray player. And I think, you know, three years, four years is too soon for people to who have bought, already bought, you know, Blu-ray players and who have already bought widescreen TVs to go in and invest in a new home theater set. I think it's too soon uh, or it's too much. I don't think it's worth the investment. And, you know, like you are, I'm frankly sick of 3D and only the studios is not, is not reading the people that are getting sick of 3D. Um, I was, I, I looked at a poll ran by a radio station here in Hong Kong yesterday and they asked, uh, I think it's this because of the news from the, uh, Donnie Monkey King movie, and they're asking if people will go, what people think about 3D movies, and actually I think uh, 47% of people uh, just said they're not going to watch it, they're tired of 3D. Uh, even in Hong Kong, Hong Kong is a, is a city where its audience is, you know, they eat up mass entertainment, they eat up the latest gimmick, and they eat up spectacle, and even they're tired of, you know, one, paying extra 3D, and two, getting 3D movies shoved down their throats and having no choice. Um, and the harder the studio try to push this on us, the harder the consumers are going to fight back. And in the end, just everyone loses. Yeah, I, I, I think we mentioned this before. The only real plus I can see to 3D and only 3D in the local cinemas that is not having a choice uh, for a, a regular version is I think it probably limits the piracy a little bit. You know? Right, but I think people are who are already turned off by the 3D, they're just going to wait for a 2D version. They know that a 2D version is going to show up on, on DVD, and they will just wait till then to download it. So it doesn't really stop the people from, you know, people aren't going to go watch 3D. They're sick and tired of 3D. They're just not going to go to cinema and download it anyway, especially more people might download it because they know that that's the only way they can watch it without having to pay the extra money. All right, our fourth bit of news, a uh, little bit of news Kevin dug up for us. No 3D for 
Harry Potter 7 Part 1? Yes. Kind of um, at odds, right? Yeah, apparently um, because Warner Brothers couldn't get it. And this is, I guess they learned from the Clash of the Titans situation where they rushed the 3D. I think that it was a matter of eight weeks for that film. Uh, they rushed the 3D and the result came out terrible and people complained and it hurt box office. Um, and they noted there's not enough time to do the 3D for the upcoming uh, part one of the Hollows? What Hollow? Deathly, Deathly Hollows, yeah. Yeah, Deathly Hollows. So Warner Brothers decided to just Flat out give up on 3D Harry Potter uh, to the to the to the joy to the rejoice of many fans uh, of both the films and the novel apparently. Which so, is I find a bit surprising because they've already experimented with 3D in parts for you know the older films, uh, Order of the Phoenix and Half Blood Prince. I, you think that they would have already planned to go in full, you know, full bore with this one and the last one. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, it was a thing where they didn't shoot with 3D cameras. Um, it might have been a decision that was made during production or maybe even just when production was done and they saw 3D take, took off and they decided on it and they thought they have enough time. But I'm guessing because the film has so much special effects and uh, the fact that they're trying to make two movies at the same time, I think this didn't, you know, these things take time because they have to convert every film that first finish special effects, which I wouldn't be surprised if it took a while since it's a very special effects heavy movie. Um, and the only way they could have gotten it done is do it Clash of the Titans way. Um, I think that Harry Potter doesn't really need 3D because, you know, it's a it's an established franchise. Warner Brothers isn't worried about it uh, because it's an established franchise. And it was going to make the amount of money it was going to make with or without 3D. So I think they're not really that stressed over trying to rush and get this done or spend all the extra money on it because they know it's going to be a hit and that 3D won't raise the the growth significantly. The only ways, the only reason they want to do it is because yeah, because of the, of the ticket prices, the ticket price inflation. And I think in the states where people do have a choice, um, it, it's kind of come down to a 50-50 thing where maybe only half the box office or half the emissions are going to 3D and I'm guessing to them the extra revenue that there it's just not worth the trouble and to me that's really good news it's showing again that the audience are fighting back they're tired of 3D and they don't want it anymore and they're fighting back with their wallets where it hurts yeah that's all of our news for this week and i think that's going to wrap up our show we will be back we'll be back next time to talk about or at least i'll be back to talk about the child's eye because uh mr ma is going to take a pass the first uh, 3d horror film here in hong kong hopefully i won't uh i won't have heart failure while watching because it's so realistic so we'll be back to talk about uh, that, among other films. I think uh, Legends of the Legend of the Guardians is that the Owl movie? Yes, the Owl movie. I'll be watching the Owl movie. I'll be reviewing it. Um, maybe we'll have also have some time to talk about a Japanese film Confessions. Uh, I fully intend on watching it for the second time this weekend. 
um, first time because the first time I watched it was on a plane, and uh, I highly encourage you to see it, Paul. Oh, I will definitely take a look if I can get some time to get out to the cinema. Um, so yeah, uh, a little bit of news uh, with regard to comments. Um, uh, there were some issues with our last episode in terms of the the file download. The entire uh, the entire file was not being downloaded. I think I must have had a corruption issue when I uploaded it. Hopefully, I've fixed it. If I haven't, please let me know with uh, more comments on the website, and I will try and address that as quickly as possible. So, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can always follow us at the website at www.concast.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us comments there, uh, or you can send us an email at concast at hotmail.com. You can even drop us an audio file, and if you have a question on audio file, put it in an MP3 por- format, and we'll play it here on the show. And if you have some free time, we'd love to have some feedback from you on iTunes as well. From what I'm told, if we get uh, some good five-star reviews on iTunes, uh, that can actually help us in the standings of podcasts. Somehow there's so many podcasts out there now, I don't think it would matter uh, much these days. And you can follow us on Twitter, um, either through the website, or you can follow Mr. Ma, who goes by the Twitter name The Golden Rock. So that's twitter.com slash thegoldenrock, as one word. You can also find Mr. Ma in his various writings and musings across the web. Where are some of the places they can find you, sir? Uh, you can definitely count on weekly reviews on the Hong Kong-based website, www.ypmovies.com.hk. This week, I will be reviewing Legends of the Guardian. Um, uploaded last week was my reviews of Grown Ups and Brooklyn's Finest. Um, you can also read my latest review of a uh, Hong Kong film, Frozen, on the uh, just updated www.lovehkfilm.com. Uh, next review for me should be Confessions or Shanghai, which is coming out on uh, home video soon. All right. And I just read your Frozen review this morning. Quite, quite well done, sir, I must say. Oh, thank you. Um, Kozo said it was quite, I don't know, he, he was quite shocked at how much I... I hated the movie, but I thought it was pretty nice to it, considering. Yeah. Not, not an easy movie to be nice to. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for our show this week. We hope to be back this time next week. So until then, as always, we will wish you good viewing, and we will see you next time. See you next time, everybody. You know, it's this is the Pang Brothers, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it's the Child's Eye. You know, it's another Eye film. Um, can't they come up with something new? I mean, like the the Child's, the child's skin nose. or you know, yeah, the child's, <laughs> smell vision. The, maybe a smell vision horror. Film. I hear dead people. <laughs> Why does it always got to be the Eye? <laughs> Because um, they sold, because it's you know it's all about foreign sales and the eye sold and they're known for you know the eye, so yeah I wouldn't be surprised if they keep they keep selling the name eye because yeah. that's, that's how the penguins established themselves. Or maybe it's Barbie Sue's fault. Maybe she, she yeah she takes off her clothes too much. Yeah. yeah she was being too trampy so that's definitely Western yeah. values. Yeah, not tranny enough. I guess. <laughs> I'm not, I, I guess, uh, I don't know if we have a film next week. 
perfect the wedding. Next week, we have a perfect wedding, but I think I have to miss it. I have an appointment at six thirty. You suck. Uh, it's probably one. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably one, sir. So you don't suck. You she lose. sucks. You lose. <laughs> you lose. Yeah, I'm gonna you be the lose. loser. It's, it's like the alien versus predator thing, you know. Yeah. If even they win. We lose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If we win, we lose. <laughs> If we watch it, we lose. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs>